This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good to see you all this morning. Thank you for your prayer, Brian. That was really encouraging, and I hope, as you mentioned, that um, I can get out of the way of God's message, because it's His message. And this morning, we're going to talk about transformation. Uh, we, we talk a lot about transformation. It's a word we like to throw around. It's a word we're really comfortable with. It's one of those Christian words that we say a lot, and we don't ever really stop and think about what it means. We have a lot of those words that we kind of just throw around a little carelessly. And I want to talk about transformation this morning and what it really means to be transformed. We have passages that we like to read about transformation, but I want to dig a little deeper into some simple steps that can help us to accomplish that transformation. I want to start off in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. This is probably the most common passage that we look at for transformation. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now we love this idea of be transformed, not conformed. And we say, okay, we're not supposed to be like the world. We're supposed to be like something else. We're supposed to be like something bigger. We're supposed to serve a greater purpose. But what we end up doing a lot of the time as Christians is we say, okay, don't be conformed. Don't be like the world. But there's a lot of not like the world that's still wrong. Just not conformed is not good enough. And we often, or I often, tend to get self-righteous. So I'm not like the world. I'm not conformed. But I'm not right either. So there's a lot of wrong answers that aren't like the one wrong answer we're trying to not be like. So, so there's a lot of wrong directions that we can head. So what does it mean to be transformed? We can be not like the world, but how do we be true servants of God. I've had a, a quote that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I've already completely worn out everybody in Lubbock with it, so now I'll start on y'all. Um, the, the quote is, if you don't know what port you're sailing to, no wind is favorable. So it's basically saying, you know, if, if you don't know what direction you're headed, you can't select a wind and open your sails and carry you to that location. I mean, if you don't know where you're headed, you're, you're never going to get there. If I had left Lubbock this past weekend and said, hey, I'm going to leave Lubbock, that's kind of this idea of don't be conformed. I'm going to leave Lubbock and go somewhere. I wouldn't have gotten here. There's a lot of different directions that I could have headed that would get me somewhere completely different. It might not be the opposite direction, but it's not going to get me here. You know, people talk about those, those small things that we get wrong, that if we do them repeatedly for a long enough time, that little change gets you further and further away the further you travel. And so, you know, this is the idea I want to pursue this morning is that just being different is not good enough. So what do we do to be transformed? And the first thing, we're going to kind of look at it in nautical terms. The first thing is know your port. You've got to know what direction you're headed. And that's the only way that you can start toward true transformation to be a child of God. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, we see that it has to be something bigger than us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, it says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. 
Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This idea of a, of a calling is kind of a touchy subject for us. Some people are like, this is your calling. This is the one thing that you're meant to do. And we're kind of hesitant, or I am at least, to pursue it in that way. But God's got a calling for us. You know, it talks about Paul being a chosen vessel for the gospel. And for a specific group of people. You know, he was specifically going out to try to persuade the Jews that they needed to change their perspective on who God was and pursue Christ. So Paul was a chosen vessel of God. God had a, a specific plan and purpose for him. And he said, I press toward that upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul had a plan, and he was pressing forward to that plan, and it was an eternal plan. And it was so much bigger than him that he had nothing else to pursue. He had no other distraction, because the one goal that he was pursuing was so tremendous that it absorbed all of his attention. And if our port isn't big enough, if our port is not important enough, if our port is, is career or family or whatever else we can choose to pursue, if that's your port, you may get there, but it's not going to mean a lot when you arrive. That's, that's not a journey that's worth taking. So your port has got to be bigger than you, and it's got to be eternal. And that's what Paul had, and so he could pursue that wholeheartedly. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 through 14, it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is one of those passages that is really helpful, but is also really general. So it says, fear God and keep his commandments. Well, it's helpful because it makes this, you know, big 5,000 foot view uh, perspective of what we're supposed to do as Christians. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's man's all. So this is the, the whole spectrum of what we as Christians are supposed to pursue is to fear God and keep his commandments. But that's a little too, too vague for me. I need something more specific. And we'll look at more specifics here in a moment. But this gives us a, a big uh, spectrum view of what God's intention for humanity is, is to fear him and obey him. In Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40, we see another big picture perspective of what God's intention for us is as for what our port should be. It says, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This passage has always fascinated me, how Jesus could teach so simply what the Jews had failed to teach for centuries. You know, they were, they were teaching the, you know, the intricacies of the law, all these little dietary restrictions and all these little requirements that they were supposed to fulfill. And, and that was all well and good, but Jesus says, look, the whole law is encompassed in two things. Love God and love your neighbor. So when people asked him, what is the most important part of the law? This is what he answered. And so if you're wondering what it means to be transformed, this is it. Love God and love people. Love God and love your neighbor. Take care of those people around you. And, be, and it also goes back to our previous passage, fear God and keep his commandments. But again, this is big picture. This is something we can shoot for, but if we don't have a very precise, granular perspective on where we're actually headed, we're not going to get there. If we just shoot generally for, yeah, love God and love people, that's not going to give us a good enough perspective and direction that we can head toward. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4, it says there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. That same Spirit, of course, is the Spirit of God, but it's also this big picture perspective. This is the big picture that we're supposed to be pursuing, to love God and love people, to fear God and keep His commandments. But there's diversities of gifts or diversities of abilities that help us get there. There's diverse ways that we can serve to that end. And so this can help us to look at things not just as we're supposed to fear God and keep His commandments, love God and love people, but use our specific gifts to meet that need and to meet that end. You all are, are gifted people. You all have talents that are specific to you. We all have specific things that we know we're good at and that we can use for the purpose of the kingdom. And of course, there's times for us to just look at the need of the kingdom and say, okay, I can force myself to do that, even though it's not really in my wheelhouse, to get what needs to be done, done. Well, there's also times for you to say, this is something I'm gifted at, and this is something I can contribute and pursue that. And that can help you to find what your port is, rather than just the big picture perspective of loving God and loving people and obeying his commandments. It can help you to find a greater perspective of what that port or what that end goal might be. So I want to look at a couple of those potential goals that we can pursue. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 21, it talks about the separation of the body into its specific parts and how those parts can serve different roles. It says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We have this perspective of what the ultimate you know, role model Christian is. And for me, a lot of the time, that's evangelists. We have this perspective of these people that just go out and teach God's word, and they're in people's homes, and they're fellowshipping with people, and we say, man, that is just the, the role model Christian right there. They've got it all together. And we want to be like them, but guess what? We're not all supposed to be evangelists. We're all supposed to be evangelistic, but we're not all supposed to be evangelists. And so we need to lose this perspective of this is the role model perfect Christian and these are all the roles that I need to fill and start asking ourselves, what roles can I fill? What roles am I equipped to fill? What, what talents do I have that can contribute to the work of the church? And that's, that's biblical. We, we start to think that we're not allowed to use our talents and abilities and dream a little bit as far as what the work of the church could look like based on what we're capable of offering. And we think, okay, this is the, the box that we're supposed to be in and fit all these roles, and check all these boxes of what the perfect Christian is. Me and Cora, as we get to know each other better, find out more about our differences and the things that we like that are different and the things that we like to do that are different than we do about our similarities. And that's okay. Because I don't want her to be like me, because I'm a jerk sometimes. Like, I, I don't want you to be like me. And I have a very clear-cut perspective of how I think things should go and what my beliefs are, and I'll be happy to tell you about it, but please don't look at things like I do. 
Please don't look at things just the way that you think you're supposed to. It's a good thing that we all look at things a different way. It's a good thing that we all have different talents. Use those things. Don't let yourself be put under the box of what the perfect Christian is supposed to look like. So let's look at a couple of specific examples. We talked about evangelists, and that doesn't have to be your role, but it's a role that we can all play in one way or another. Luke chapter 9 and verse 60, it says, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. This guy was not one of the apostles. This was not a guy that had been following Christ for a long time, and then Christ said, okay, you're, you're ready now. You can go out and preach the kingdom of God. This is a guy that came to Jesus, and he said, I want to follow you, but I want to go back home and bury my father. He's just died. Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead, and you go and preach the kingdom of God. This guy had just asked to follow God. He was not a longtime follower or somebody that was you know, ready to be trusted with this great expectation of teaching the gospel. So this is where our expectation of what an evangelist looks like can maybe change. Because we think those are people that have to be very experienced, have to have a bunch of training, have to have all these characteristics, be charismatic. They've got to be able to speak well. and They, they really don't. They don't have to have those things. This guy just walked up to Jesus and said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, drop everything and go preach the kingdom of God because you're ready. You're not ready because you have these you know, abundant talents that lend you toward this. You're ready because you want to follow me, and this is a part of following me. So as Christians, this is an expectation that we have that we're supposed to be evangelistic. But again, we don't have to be a quote-unquote evangelist. And that's a role that's set out specifically in Scripture, and it says not everybody's an evangelist. But we have to teach the gospel. It's a requirement of us as Christians. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 25 through 26, it says, In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snares of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. As long as there are snares of the devil, as long as there are people getting stuck in sin problems and getting stuck in things that they can't by themselves get out of, there's a need for people to teach them and to correct them and to show them their error in a kind and godly and gentle way and help them to get to something better. And so again, your, your role as being evangelistic doesn't have to be this bold, flowery role to go out and preach the, the kingdom of God all across the country. It can just be, hey, you know, I noticed that you don't seem yourself. Is there anything I can do to help? This is something I'm noticing in your life, and I may be misreading that. But can I encourage you and help you to get to somewhere better? Evangelism is not as big and bold and flowery as we make it. It can be really simple, and it can be really personal, and it can be very basic. And we don't have to have any kind of crazy skill set to accomplish that goal. That's maybe a port that you can push yourself to. And if you have sales skills, use those things. There, there's people that I know that could convince me of anything. They will say something to me, and I'm just like, man, that, you're so right. I'm going to go do that now. Because they just have that bearing about them that they can convince you of whatever they want to. They just are persuasive people. So if you're a persuasive person, use that skill. That's a good thing. That belongs in the kingdom of God. And that can maybe help direct you toward what your port can be to convince people about the gospel. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 2, it talks about this uh, brotherly service role. Romans 15 and verse 2, it says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. 
This is a role that kind of gets downplayed a lot of the time, and maybe that's just because it says servant or service on the front of it. We don't want to be the servant. Well, guess what? God said and Christ said, if you want to be the greatest, be the servant in the kingdom of heaven. We don't like that role because it feels like it's subservient. It feels like it's less than. But this is a beautiful role in the kingdom of God. And I know both men and women that are excellent at fulfilling this role, that make you feel so at home. Whether you're at, at church services or whether you're in their home or really anywhere you are, they make you feel welcome. And there's people in this room that have that talent, that have the ability to just make you feel like yourself and comfortable and at home wherever you are. That's a role that you can fulfill that's, that's beautiful and powerful and meaningful in the kingdom of God. That's not a less than or an unimportant role. That's a powerful role. And sometimes, sometimes that can do more good than that bold and flowery evangelistic perspective that we often think about. In Galatians 5, verse 13 through 14, it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this shows us how we fulfill that second greatest commandment that we looked at earlier. We said love God and love people. Well, how you fulfill loving people is putting their needs before your own and not letting the distractions of life get in the way of your service to them. And that is an incredible role that you can fulfill in the kingdom of God that doesn't take those kinds of big and bold skills that we often think about making people a good servant or a good uh, player in the kingdom of God. So this is something that we can all fulfill, but that some of you are a lot better at than others. I'm not very talented at making people feel you know, comfortable and welcome. I'm, I'm a little bit more talented at the calling people out and saying, hey, like, I'm seeing this about your life and I want to help you. And I'm not often very good at that either. But this is not a role that I feel comfortable with. It's a role I'm trying to grow into. But there's some of you that are talented at this. So take advantage of that. It's a beautiful role. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26, it says, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation? Let all things be done unto edifying. I think it's really interesting to look at the first century church and think about the differences between how we do things now and how they did things then. And I think there's, a, there's definitely a place for structure and there's a need for us to have an order of assembly and a, a perspective on you know, making things edifying and making things orderly. But it sounds like in the first century, they said, whoever has something to share, share it. Just do it unto edifying. Be orderly, be organized about it. But there was an outlet for people to share the insights and the experiences that they were having and to encourage one another through that. And I think we should have that, whether that's in personal Bible studies. Ladies, you have, a, you have an outlet as well. And I can't imagine how challenging it is for a lot of women to find their outlet in the church today because we have this very structured, the guys lead, and I think that's how it should be. But we all need an outlet for the things that we're learning and the experiences that we're having to be able to share those things. So in private and in Bible studies and in other really amazing environments, there's an opportunity for us to all share with one another the things that we're learning, the experiences that we're having, maybe scriptures we're reading, prayers that have been answered. I want you to leave this morning feeling like you have an outlet, feeling like you have a place to share something meaningful with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, it's these small roles 
that often make the biggest impact on my life when somebody pulls me aside and just shares a word of wisdom with me. When the older members of the congregation take me aside and grab me by the arm and say, hey, this is a lesson I learned that got me a long way. And, and I love those moments. Those are, those are powerful. So don't discount your own ability to share something meaningful and powerful in the lives of others. Hopefully this will get us a, a better perspective on what our port should be. We know it should be to love God and love people. We know it should be to fear God and keep His commandments. But there's particular things that align with your talents that you can pursue that can be a more clear-cut port for you. So with that being said, the next step of transformation that we're going to look at this morning is to hoist the anchor. Or maybe a better perspective would be throw weight off of your ship. Relieve yourself of the friction that may be holding you back in pursuing that role or pursuing that port. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it says to lay aside the weights. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We all have different weights, too. We all have different abilities and different characteristics that lend themselves toward different goals. But we all have different weights and different challenges and different distractions as well. The people that know me best know that I spend a ridiculous time in the gym. And that's something that a lot of people aspire to. And it's something that I need to stop. So we have, we have different challenges. I spend enough time in the gym that I could be doing a lot more valuable things with my life and be a lot less selfish with my time. So that's become an obstacle and a, a point of friction for me that I need to let go of a little bit. You know, you don't, you don't need two-hour workouts when 30 or 45 minutes would do. And most people think that, that sounds like a, a stupid thing to hold you back, but it holds me back. It's so easy to get distracted by just whatever else we have going on. I'm a very goal-oriented person, and so I've got all these goals that I'm looking at, and I want to pursue, and I want to do them all at the same time, and the church takes the back seat. Work here falls off the wagon, and even just fellowship and being with my brothers and sisters is something that challenges me because I have so many other things that I'm trying to pursue. Well, in this passage, it says, seeing we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, of people of faith that have set a perfect example of what it looks like to follow and pursue God. We've got these examples that we can follow. Let go of the weight. Whatever ways you see them showing up in faith to God and submitting to Him and His will for their lives, do what they did. You see stories like Abraham being told to offer up Isaac. He had no weight holding him back. That's something I don't know if I could, if I could do, if I could commit to. But he did because he had nothing else in his way stopping him from serving God and pursuing that port that he had identified as his. So whatever's causing friction, whatever's holding you back, whatever weights you need to let go of, let go. And that's easier said than done. But we'll look at a couple of passages that hopefully help identify how we can do that. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 through 34, it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The Bible represents the need for us to live one day at a time and to seek God one day at a time. 
and not worry about tomorrow. And and this is a, a phrase that has always fascinated me, where it says, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. There's enough bad stuff going on right now. Why bring up the future? And also, why bring up the past? The past holds me back a lot more often than the future does. I have fears of the future, and a lot of those things are based on the past because I see past mistakes that I've made, and I say, I don't want to make that mistake again. And so I'm living in, in the past, worried about things I've done before, and I'm living in the future, worried about doing them again, and I lose focus on the present. But it just says simply, seek God first. Seek God first now. And have no worries about what else is going to happen in the future. We're very, uh, you know, the scarcity abundance mindset concept. We get kind of scarcity, a scarcity mindset as we pursue the kingdom of God. I think if I commit too much time to my spiritual life, what if I, you know, can't provide for a family? And then, you know, I'm, I'm falling off of another commandment that God's given me. And we let fear and worry and anxiety about things that really are going to work themselves out get in the way of us doing what we need to for the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, it shows us that Christ has offered to trade burdens with us. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think the teachings of Christ about what it actually means to be successful in the kingdom of God are so relieving. Because he says, you know, all you have to do is be a servant. All you have to do is humble yourself. All you have to do is use the, the talent that you've been given and multiply that. Use what you've, you've been given. You don't have to find something that somebody else has been given. Use your talents and abilities and opportunities, and that's good enough. Jesus didn't put the weight on you that is on you. Whether you have fear of failure or any kind of anxiety or any kind of stress about failure as a Christian, Jesus didn't give that to you. You made that for yourself. I was talking to Mr. Clint this morning about, maybe last night, about the fear that I have of damaging my own ego. I'm uh, very confident to test myself physically and mentally and pursue things until the ego gets involved. And I say, well, what if I embarrass myself? What if I look like an idiot? I went skating with Cora yesterday, and let me tell you, I embarrassed myself and looked like an idiot and busted my tail, and nobody cared. Nobody cared. And I shouldn't have cared either, but I did. And it's those little things that, that get in our heads about this fear of failure. Like, what, man, what are, what are people going to think? What am I going to think about myself? What is this going to do to my precious self-image? And we have those fears spiritually, too. We think, if I pursue something spiritually and I lose, where else do I have to go? I heard an interesting concept on a podcast the other day. He was talking about how if you don't give your best, it doesn't hurt as much to lose. If you give everything and you know you tried your hardest and you still lose, you've got nothing left in the tank. You have nowhere else to go. And so we kind of do things halfway because we're afraid of that feeling like we gave everything we had and it wasn't enough. That's my greatest fear in life is not being enough, whether that's for my family or for the church or for anything. Those fears are made up. You made those fears 
And Jesus did not give those things to you. So when he says, just be a servant, just do what you can do, and that's enough, listen to that. Because that's the yoke that he's given you to bear, and he's offered to take your fears and anxieties and self-doubts and your worry. He's offered to take those things from you. He's going to trade burdens with you, taking those fears that you've placed on yourself, taking all that weight that you've been holding on to, and he's just going to give you this light and easy yoke of humbling yourself and serving him and just doing what you can because he doesn't expect any more of you than that. Just do what you can. Just use what you've been given. In Mark chapter 11, verse 22 through 24, it says, So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but, but, says there, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. This is something I'm really terrible about. I've uh, always been the ultimate skeptic about prayer and actually receiving the things that I pray about. You know, I go through the motions of prayer with very little faith and expectation. I think that's easy to get into. But it says, you know, if you pray in faith for those burdens to be removed, it's all going to work out. And I'm quick to say, well, you know, Paul prayed three times for his thorn in the flesh to be removed, and God said, my grace is sufficient. So I guess he's not always going to take it away. But he gave Paul what he needed. And I think this is the, the thought process that we need to lose, that it has to work out the way that we expect it to. That when we pray for something, that God's got to take it away the way that we want him to. That he's got to relieve the burden the way that we expect. And maybe all you're going to get is, my grace is sufficient. And guess what? It is. So maybe that's all the reminder that you need to be able to get through that hard time and be able to bear that burden a little bit more easily is to hear, my grace is sufficient. Maybe that burden that's testing you is something that God's saying, you know what, you need a little patience. And this is going to develop that. So you need this. And I'm not going to take it away. And my grace is sufficient for you. You still got what you needed. And so when I pray in faith, it needs to be faith in God's purpose and his expectation and what he wants to do rather than praying in faith that he's going to do exactly what I want to do. That's not faith. That's faith in me, not faith in God. So when you pray for him to remove these burdens that are holding you down, that are stopping you and causing friction and stopping you from pursuing that port fully, when you pray in faith, asking him to remove those burdens and those weights, believe that he's going to do exactly what needs to be done. And then pursue fearlessly. Because he's going to. He's going to do everything that he needs to do to give you the weightlessness that you need to pursue wholeheartedly. So now with all of these things being said, we've identified our port. We've let go of these weights. There's one more step that we've got to do. And here's, here's what you've got to do. You've got to make sure this is very structured. As you plan your journey... You know, when I plan to come here, I look at towns I can visit and gas stations that are along the way, and I need lots of food on a trip. That's, that's what I do the whole way here, is eat snacks. So we got to plan that in. So I want to make sure that when you pursue this, when you've gotten to this point where you've identified your port and you've let go of these weights, that you're structured about it. Make maybe a bullet-pointed list. Take your time. Really commit yourself 
to just making this overly complicated. And then crumble that up and throw it in the trash can because stop planning and start acting. People that know me well know that I've got journals and I've got planners and I've got my digital calendar and my paper calendar and I've got plans and I've got structures and I waste all my time planning so I have no more juice left to just do something. So once you get to this point that you've identified your port and you've let go of the weight, stop planning and set sail. Because this is just putting the weight back on. If you plan this and if you overstructure this, you're just putting weight back on that Jesus did not give you, but that you made yourself. So stop planning. Don't be structured. There's a place for structure. Just do the first thing. He says, don't worry about tomorrow, but seek me first today. And I think, okay, I can seek him first today with this caveat that I've got a plan for tomorrow's step. That every night I go to bed, I, I have a, a planner list of all the things I'm going to do the next day. Seek him first now. And it'll all work out. Have a little faith. Let it go. Because God's got it. In 2 Peter 1, verse 5 through 8, it says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness love. For if these things are in you, or if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a process. But it starts with step one. And step one is faith. Step one isn't really as, as active as I want it to be. And I don't have a lot of faith. This is my, my greatest struggle as a Christian. I can do the, the works. I can do the actions. But I don't always have the faith behind it. And in this passage, it's talking about this transformation. Step by step, what it takes for us to be transformed into something bigger than we, than we currently are. And to, be, to grow our, our skills and our abilities and our relationship with God. And it starts with faith. So when you look at this list, don't be intimidated by how many things there are. Just look at the first step. Because if you've got faith, the next one's going to come. If you've, if you've put your trust in God and you're just seeking Him today, that next characteristic is going to be added to you. So again, stop planning. Don't make a, a 5, 10, and 20 year plan of how you're going to add all of these things to your life. Make a plan for right now what you can do to impact somebody else's life and contribute what you can to the kingdom of God. Make a plan for how after services you're going to just love on people like never before and take care of people and encourage them. Make a plan for who you're going to eat lunch with today. Make a plan for maybe a, an afternoon devotion today. Don't make a five and ten year plan for how you're going to have a better relationship with God. Make a plan for how you're going to do everything that you can with the abilities that he's given you today. And that's all he expects. And then just keep stacking one more day on the next, living in the moment and pursuing God now instead of 10 years down the line. In Ephesians 4, verse 14 through 15, it talks about identifying appropriate winds. We've set sail. We've unfurled the sails, but we've got to find the wind that gets us to our port. It says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, 
Christ. It's so easy after we set sail to put those burdens back on ourselves, to regain those distractions. But you've just got to identify the winds that help encourage you to the port that you're sailing to. You guys are one of those winds that helps me get to the port that I'm sailing to. Opportunities like this to, to speak God's word are, are a part of the wind that gets me where I want to be. My family and friends in Lubbock are a part of the wind that gets me where I want to be. But you've got to identify the things that help you to pursue the goal that you've set yourself to. Those little goals and those little things. You know, I've never been, I've never sailed before. I've never steered a ship before. But steering anything is made up of just little corrections along the way. And that's what it's going to have to be for us, too. So we don't have to just make sure we set our wheel exactly right and get our sails exactly right the first time. We've got to just pursue that first thing. And if we see a need for adaptation or adjustment after that, we can do that. And it's all okay. Don't feel like you've got to get it all right, all perfect the first time so that you can just set your wheel, set your sail, and cruise until you get to your destination or your port. Know that there's going to be adjustment along the way. And identifying those winds takes time. So identify one wind that you feel like gets you to your goal and take that one. And then you can add to it and adjust it as you go. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 20, it talks about Jesus gaining his apostles and their reaction to his call to them. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. There was immediate action in the hearts of Simon and Peter. They were ready for that call of Christ. When he said, come follow me, they didn't say, I've got to go bury my father. I've got my 401k plan that I've got to make sure is in alignment before I you know, jump off and take risks. They dropped whatever they were doing and they followed him because they knew that the port that he was headed to was bigger than the one that they were headed to. They knew that what he was calling them to was bigger than catching fish and making money. And so this is what's necessary for us to be transformed and to seek that port that God has called us to. In Ephesians 4, verse 22 through 24, it says, And that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to, this, to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, there's, there's that passage in uh, Revelation that talks about leaving your first love. And that's how I feel a lot more often than like, okay, I'm, I'm just starting for the first time. I mean, I feel like I've been a Christian since I was born. I was like raised in the church building in Lubbock. But that doesn't make me a Christian just because I'm in the church building. And so this is what a lot of us need more than oh man, this is a fresh start. I've never experienced this before. Now I can pursue this. We need the renewal. We need a new start. And that can be sometimes more challenging than just starting for the first time because we have all of those failures in our past. We've tasted and seen the goodness of God and maybe let some of those things slip. So we need, we need renewal this morning. I need renewal this morning. We get so caught up in the things that we're doing that we forget how to just take step one. So set sail. You've got nothing to lose. And past failures mean nothing for a new journey. Learn from your failures, but don't let them hold you back. We can pursue God fearlessly 
on whatever new journey we're pursuing and whatever port we're headed to. And as long as Jesus is in it, it's right. And as long as it aligns with skills and abilities that you have that you can contribute to the church, and as long as it's about God and not you, it's right. So set sail and get started and pursue it. Final passage I want to look at this morning is Isaiah chapter 55, verses 11 through 13. I don't know about you, but I've got to have reminders to be joyful. I'm not naturally just, you know, in the, in the working process. I'm not naturally enjoying the process. I'm naturally thinking, here's where I'm headed. If I don't perform this well, I've failed. I don't naturally enjoy what I'm doing. But this passage helps us to do that. Isaiah 55, verse 11 through 13, it says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. I kind of chuckled when I read this, per- this, this passage for the first time leading up to this sermon because it sounds like an early morning in a Disney princess movie. It's like you just wake up and the flowers are blooming and the birds are singing and everything's beautiful and you can just go out and slay because it's just great. And I'm like, that's really not that way. You know, I, the, the skeptic and the negative person in me is like, oh man, it's just, it's not that easy. Well, maybe that means that I'm not going with the word of God. Because this passage starts out saying, if you go with my word, wherever my word goes, my will will be accomplished. Wherever my word goes, it's going to look like this. The trees will be budding and the flowers blooming and the birds singing because that's where I've sent you. And so we don't have to feel like, well, I'm blowing it because you know, my, my world is not as flowery and beautiful as this passage says. Well, maybe it's time to take a step back and say, am I going with the word of God or am I going my own way? Because if you've allowed God's will to lead in your life, your life can look like this. Your life can have that sense of joy and beauty and fulfillment and success in it only when you relinquish your will and your way and the way that you think everything should go and let God lead. When you set sail fearlessly, pursuing his plan and not your own. This is what life looks like. So this morning, I hope this has been a challenging study. It was for me. But I also hope that you can just pursue fearlessly the call that God has given you in his kingdom and that life can look like this, that you can enjoy the process and that you don't have to get to the exact destination that you've imagined to still have joy in following the will that God has set out for you. If you need help from the church this morning, don't we all? We all go through times where we feel like we're losing focus, like we're losing our, our sense of what it means to be a Christian, like we're losing our port, our direction. So if you feel like you've lost your direction, we want to help you. We want to pray for you if you need renewal. We want to help you to seek that renewal. Or if you've never begun this journey, it's a beautiful journey. And it's a journey where God is helping you to relieve yourself of that weight all along the way. And so if you trust in him, This can be an amazing journey for us to all share together. So if you want to begin that journey or renew that journey this morning, please come while we stand and sing.
We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.